online saying hi to you as well this morning. Man, I got a lot to do here really quick, and so I'm going to get right underway because this is the second, third, what are we, uh, second Sunday, third Sunday of the month? I'm, what are we? Second, third, second, third, third. Okay, this is supposed to happen on the second. That's why my brain's not working, and because I'm a grandpa, that's not why my brain's not working too. So here's the deal though. On the second Sunday of every month, we give some financial updates on the building and how things have been going because we put all sorts of things before you here in this last year. And so this morning, I wanted to kind of go back to that really quick, uh, kind of show what we put before you a year ago, how things have gone, everything else. And so this is like sort of an Uber update and an update going into the end of the year here and uh, some of the things connected to that. So we have some slides here. So back last November on the 22nd, uh, we came before the church and we said, hey, we finally got some ballparky numbers for what it's going to cost to do the building down there on uh, 203 on Main Street, and we came back with the number of $6 million, which we were like, that's a chunk of change, man. That's a lot of cheddar, all right? So, and at that time, uh, we had about $700,000 in the bank, right? So all the more, it felt like a really daunting kind of thing. But we just put it before you, and we're like, all right, this is what it is. This is what it's going to take. And if this is going to happen, it's just going to be because we started getting on board with this and making it happen because we don't have like 10 years to lead up to stuff. We have a very finite timeline because of wetland ordinances and just different things. We have to do this in, in roughly like three years from the time this started to the time we get really underway. It was just a very truncated amount of time. So we came before you with that. And so from that, uh, basically what we said is, okay, we need to do this. And then six weeks later, the church had $2 million, right? So what, right, well, you can clap for that. You should clap for that because that's pretty cool. So to go from 700 to 2 million in six weeks, yeah, that's pretty cool, right? So uh, we're like, okay, apparently then they want to go down this road. So that's what we started steaming towards. So what we did is we gave the challenge and we said, here's what we need to do. Uh, we need to either raise an additional $4 million um, just to pay the whole thing off, right? Or we need to be hitting these numbers of about $90,000 a month in average giving and doing that consistently for a while so as to pursue some kind of lending. That was sort of the plan behind that, right? So we went that direction, started doing things. You all started giving. And from this, what we know for the October stuff that we have as far as reporting things is the building fund in October was $73,800. That's what you gave to the building fund. But then we also have a matching fund that's going on right now. And so that was then matched for a total of 131000 Then the general fund was 58000 So the total giving for October was 205000 So you can clap again. Very cool. Unfortunately, y'all were down from the month before. The month before was 755000 freakish month. Don't worry about it. All right. It's kind of like the bell curve, you know, that one kid that blows it out for everybody. That was October, right? So uh, that's what it was. And so currently our total balance is $3 million as a church. And so that's really fantastic as well. We go to this next slide here really quick. Um, just as a reminder about the generosity match. So back in July, there was a family at Redemption that came forward and said, hey, we, we want to match dollar for dollar up to $750,000. That's what they did. And uh, since that time, you've been taking advantage of this. And so currently, uh, as of the end of October, there's $293,000 left in that account. So it started at seven fifty. dollars now it's down to 293. Here's what this means in the math really quick. Uh, in four months, 
you all have done this in four months since July. So again, another clap is totally at hand. I think that's awesome. Really, it's, again, it just continues to humble me, everything else. And so one, I think we have one last slide here. I'm hoping, Carla. Uh, what's cool about this? This is just perspective. Uh, so in, in January, going into 2020, this was the church's total cash balance. And then as of October of this year, this is the cash balance. And, and it's just a reminder because, again, as a pastor who's also incredibly human, um, I remember thinking like when the general contractors and the architects were like, hey, we're going to have a number for you. And it was like right in the middle of all the COVID crazy, you know, and we're like, you're kidding me. You're giving us $6 million as your general total now as we're not even meeting as a church. And how is this going to happen? And this is impossible. What rotten timing. And, and Jesus is like, Matt, you're cute. You're so cute. Like you think it's you that's going to have to do this like you're the dude doing the heavy lifting why don't you sit there shut up pray a lot and I'll do some stuff and so that's what I've been trying to do sit there shut up pray a lot and let Jesus do some stuff and he really has and so it's pretty exciting all the way around so I want to say thank you to all of you for your generosity and also just a reminder that there's still that matching chunk to be matched between now and the end of the year. So uh, as you're thinking about maybe your end of the year giving and that kind of thing, uh, all of that's going to get matched dollar for dollar. People are pounding away at that bottom line of the 750, as you can tell. And uh, I think, you know, we're going into it. I was like, I wonder if we're going to be able to match the full amount. And now I think we're going to blow it out, right? I think that's just going to happen. So very exciting uh, all the way around about that. We should be having some updates on building stuff, hopefully in the next month or so. Things have kind of slowed down a little bit for some reasons. We're trying to get it started back up as far as just like timelines and things like that. But things are going on. So good stuff all the way around. Perhaps 2022 is going to be a pretty wild, great, awesome year for us as a church and it's going good now it's great to see all of your faces here this morning as well as everybody online and so i'm gonna go ahead and pray and then we're gonna get to business with what we're here to do today which is not simply to talk about financials but really to talk about jesus that's what it's all about so if you want to pray with me that would be great jesus i thank you for your generosity shown through the hearts of your people because that's what this comes down to i mean i i think about so often that it's not like you need our money, but you certainly do want our hearts, you want our, our sense of priority about your things, and you kind of tether some of that to our finances to show that, hey, we, we are more sold out for you than we are sold out for ourselves, just gaining this world and losing things in the process, but rather we're willing to lose many things in this world to gain you, to gain your glory, and to gain really your priorities for your kingdom. And so as we're wrapping up the series today, I pray that that's where our heart is at. I pray that what we desire is what you desire, that we would love what you love. And as I keep thinking about everything we've learned in the series, I realize it's really hard. Like, I totally get the Sermon on the Mount closing out by saying it's a narrow and difficult way. Like, it's just hard to basically push Matt Boswell more out of the way to let you, Jesus, flood into my life more and yet I know it's rewarding. I know it is something that is ultimately for my good. And I pray that for all of us, that we will have that kind of buy-in. So we look to you, Jesus. We certainly love you, and we thank you in your good and kind name. Amen. So um, my life has been like, I, I, I think about it sometimes, and it's like a series of weird little boxes, you know, where every box kind of reveals something about your characteristics and your traits and yet inside that box, there's an opportunity for development and growth, right? And this number right here before you is an example of one of those boxes as an opportunity of development and growth. Now you're looking at this and you're trying to figure out what is that? Is that a caliber? 
Is that, a, is that a measurement of some micro proportions? And I go, yeah, it's kind of a measurement of micro proportions. Uh, this was my grade point average in high school, the first semester of my senior year. And if you're like, oh, you're making this up. No, go find my wife. She'll tell you. This was my grade point average, all right? And so, uh, yeah, so I was not the best student necessarily in high school. It was not important to me or anything else. And so I thought it, the whole like enterprise existed for me to have fun. That's why I thought public high school was all about. And so I had friends, I did stuff. Among the stuff I did was not homework, right? Um, matter of fact, my junior and senior year, my, my mom just said, hey, you can sign yourself out. You can be a part of your own attendance. It's all you. She gave a letter to the school. And so I could miss 15 days a semester or a quarter. I would make sure I missed just 15 days every quarter, right? Because I could get away with that. That's just what I did. And so from that, then there was warnings coming in my life from people who cared about me. And they would say, you know what, if you stick with this number right here, you're going to grow up and you're going to be flipping burgers, buddy. You're going to be salting fries. You're going to be digging ditches. You're going to be slopping a mop. Or the best one, you're going to be pushing a broom. Right? That's what I was warned about. And I remember thinking about this too. And I was a little perplexed by it. Because I'm like, wait, all of those are honest jobs. Like, I'm going to grow up to have an honest, hard-working job? That sounds totally fine by me, right? There was this sense of, like, why are you mocking this? But then there was another part I thought about it with all of those jobs. We call those jobs service-oriented jobs. And maybe that's what I was thinking about this week, where I thought, how strange that oftentimes we will take those jobs that are service-oriented jobs and make them sound like punishments for the kid that has a .4 grade point average. Like, if you don't pull it together, you're going to be punished. And by being punished, it means you're going to have to serve other people. And so it made me think about the fact that, unfortunately, we sometimes take this idea of servanthood or service or service jobs, and we give it this negative kind of tone as though it's not as sophisticated. You didn't live up to your potential. You didn't work as hard, and so now you have to serve. I think it gives this word service almost this negative context to life. But then I look at the Gospels. I look at these kind of artifacts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and I see where Jesus rolls in, and he's like, oh, man, service, that's, that's where it's at. He says, in fact, if you truly want to be great in my eyes, in the eyes of the kingdom, you have to be the least. If you really want to be a winner, then you have to be a loser. If you want to be first, you have to then decide the difficult task of being last. See, the thing that mesmerizes me about Jesus is just how absolutely backwards he is. And this is the thing, I think, for us as followers of Jesus that's the hardest thing to own and to accept in our lives is that Jesus pretty much says, look at your world and the ways that it normally does it. Just flip that, do that, you're going to do well. I, I think that's the part that's really tough for us. In fact, if anything, we find his ideas to be crazy sometimes. But that's the essence of this whole series, right? Crazy stuff Christians should do. And I think it's crazy just because, again, the world that we're saturated by just does things differently than the way Jesus would do them. 
responds differently than the way Jesus responds to people. And so what we're trying to do in this whole series as we close it out today is just own like, hey, it's backwards, it's upside down, it's different, but it's actually what heals the world. If we can embrace it, if we can live it, if we can do the hard stuff. And so today, the crazy thing that we're closing out with is this whole idea of our potential. And it's this idea of living up to your potential by being a janitor. Like taking that on as your vision for life. Now, now here's the thing I want to say just from the start. You know what makes Redemption Church work every Sunday morning here at Cedar Crest High School? It is a person, a custodian, who is willing to come in here on a day off Unlock the door, turn on the lights, crank up the heat, and make it possible for you and I to come and hear and worship and celebrate, enjoy one another, have some donuts and some coffee, right? All of that happens because there is a person willing to take this day to come down here and serve us, right? Amen, thank you for that. Matter of fact, give them a hand because it's really true. Right? We, we, we have the privilege of a person who's willing to do that. Or I think about another person here in the district. His name's Corey, and Corey is awesome. He's kind of like kind of the head of the custodial stuff for, for the Riverview District. And Corey's one of those guys that is always looking out for us and encouraging us and helping us to, to make things happen and everything else. And so honestly, like, if it wasn't for Corey, I go, I'm not sure we're in this room. He's a stud. So I want you right now to give Corey a hand. If he's watching or he's around... Honestly, phenomenal guy, phenomenal guy, right? And so again, this brings it back to this idea that I believe taps into the ideas of Jesus. That it's those people that are willing to say, you know what, I'm gonna put others first. I'm gonna go out of my way to to make it possible for other people to do life, enjoy life, whatever it is. Those are the ones that we should truly admire. Those are the ones that we should deeply care about and be thankful for. Because that's the stuff that makes the world go around. And so for us, then, as a church, we have a motto. And the motto is, everyone sweeps, right? And this is our illustration of the idea that all of us are called to to serve in some capacity. Now, as I say this this morning, some of you are going to be like, okay, here's the pitch. They want people to sign up for kids' ministry, for youth ministry, for setup, for teardown, for hospitality, for tech. That's what he's looking at right now. And the answer to that is absolutely. I want you to sign up for all of that. Um, That is true, right? But that's not the only thing I want us to look at this morning. I think that's important, but I want us to get to the deeper heart of some of this too. Because when I look at the life of Jesus, when I look at the words of Jesus, when I look at the emphasis of Jesus, the dude was cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs when it comes to service. Right? Like you cannot read through the Gospels and not be completely marked by the reality of how deeply committed Jesus was to the notion of actually serving people. It was deeply embedded into his mission status. It was deeply embedded into his vision for what he was going to do. And in that, it is deeply connected to what it is he expects of us to do as we do it in his name. Because here's the thing about servanthood or serving that I think is so interesting. It's not just a task or a function. 
It's really easy to look at it that way. Like, oh, they need people to serve up because they got to fill these spots because they got to get this thing done. No, I actually believe that Jesus does this whole thing of pushing servanthood because you know what it does? It undoes, undoes our, our pride. It undoes our privilege. And it gives us a sense of his heart laid in our heart. Like what's important to him becomes deeply important to us and it happens because we're trying to do it in his way. In fact, twice in the New Testament, it talks about imitation. In Ephesians 5, it says, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do because you are his dear children. Or I love what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11. 1, he says, You should imitate me just as I imitate Christ. Now, this word imitate literally just means to copy. And it comes from a deeper Latin word, which is imitari, not atari, but imitari, which has, has this, this connection to another word, which is imago, which is where we get image. So when we think about this, what we're really talking about, when we go into the world that we live in and we begin to serve and we embrace servanthood as the way Christ has it, is that we are literally trying to imitate his image in what we do with everybody that we meet. It's like the best way we can show the world Jesus is by serving the world around us. That's the idea. And so we're incarnating what we understand of him in us. And this imitation is more than flattery. This imitation that we want to embrace where we take this janitorial mindset to life is the spirit of saying, you know what? Um, I think Jesus will be most clearly seen when I say that you matter more than even myself, that your needs are critical to my own well-being. Right? That, that, that shows that I'm, I'm taking my faith seriously. I'm taking Jesus' challenge for my life seriously, and I'm wanting to do it. But to understand this more, I think we have to go to an uncomfortable place, and the uncomfortable place is trying to analyze Jesus a little bit in relationship to servanthood. So if you're taking notes in our app this morning, right, we have a little app, we've got notes in there, blanks that you can fill in. This is going to be the first blank in point one. It has, has everything to do with us watching the undignified God who bows in service. Watching the undignified God who bows in service. Shows Jesus on the scene of the Gospel of Mark, second little piece of literature telling the story of Jesus. It's chapter 10, and we see he gives his big idea, this idea that he comes to sweep. He says in verse 45, the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now, we're going into the Christmas season. You're going to hear all sorts of different little pieces of the story of Jesus coming into the world and everything else. And there's this one scene where wise men come and they bring gold and frankincense and myrrh. But when you read this little tidbit here in Mark, what you see is they should have brought like a Swiffer and gloves and bleach, Right? Like, because he's like, hey, man, I did not come to be the king that gets all the cool stuff. I came to get my hands dirty. I came to roll up my sleeves and do some stuff. And when Jesus rolls into the world, notice he does not come like a rich kid pulling up in his dad's BMW to work at the soup kitchen with his $500 sneakers on. Right? That's not how he comes in. Now, I think that's how we wish he would have come sometimes. 
Like, it would have been so much nicer to say, we follow a, a Lord and Savior who rolled in as a Superman with a cape and a big S on his chest for Savior, and he looked like a king, and he looked like an athlete, and he treated everybody in such a way that they were just humbled and awed by him because of the fear that they had as he carried his presence into a crowd. But that's not how Jesus rolled. He came in in such a way that people were like, really, that's the guy? That guy doesn't even have a house. That guy's just like couch surfing from place to place and running around with this goofy posse of a bunch of fishermen and other weird dudes. But see, this is the embodiment of his servanthood. And this embodiment is an essence that he was willing to put on servanthood. It says this in the book of Philippians, a little four-chapter letter that Paul writes... Speaking of Jesus, he says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Again, we wish he would have been this superhuman person that came, a king, a philosopher, an entrepreneur that said, hey, man, I'm going to start a free market economy that's going to make everybody rich, whatever it was, but it's not how he comes. He comes fully undignified, right? That's all that passage in Philippians is saying. It says he willfully chooses to be underprivileged. He opts for the vocation of a slave. That's what it says. And he humbles himself both to the will of God and to the whims of humanity. Right? So he's got everything in heaven. And he goes to the Father and he says, Dad, give me a broom. I'm going for them. And I'm going to serve them as the lowest of them. I'm going to take the position that nobody willfully chooses. How many people willfully choose to become a slave? No, you're forced into it. You're driven into it. Maybe you're so broke you have to enter into it. But Jesus being rich says, I'll become poor. Jesus being powerful says, I'll become weak. Jesus being king says, I will become a slave to the lowest of slaves on the planet. That's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to serve them to show I love them. God, Father, Dad, give me a broom. I'm going for them. That, that's what marks me about our faith. Like, honestly, more than anything else that that's what he's willing to do. And what most impresses me about this isn't that he's willing to be a humble servant toward God. That doesn't impress me in the sense of, well, God's worthy of that. It doesn't shock me. What the Bible keeps saying over and over again is he's willing to be a humble servant toward us. That's what blows me away. And, and, and in particular about this, I, I look at the scene of the cross as the ultimate kind of showcase of this servanthood, right? Because that's where he's really serving us. I mean, for three years, he's, he's going, he's doing, he's healing, he's preaching, he's feeding, he's befriending, he's doing all this really cool stuff. But the cross is the testing point, really, in a lot of ways, of how far he's willing to go to serve. And so here he is, and he's like, Jesus, uh, or the Father says, Jesus, I want you to go, and I want you to give yourself away for them. I want you to go ahead and die a criminal's death for them in servanthood. And he's like, I'm going. And while he's on the cross, he's serving us by praying for us, by paying for us, 
even all the while, while the crowd is abusing him and mocking him and blowing him off and despising him. He's like, no, I'm not done. I'm still going to serve these people. I'm going to stay on this cross. Like, I look at that and I go, if, if that was a regular human being, they would have gone full Conan the Barbarian on everything. Right? They would just like pull the spikes from the hands, grab the bloody stump of the cross and beat the crowd to death with it. Like, really, this is what I get from my servanthood? You guys are just mocking and jeering and you don't care? That's not how Jesus rolls. His servanthood is staying there, staying put, continuing to pray, continuing to pay, continuing to care about us. That is the true essence of a servant. In other words, his death was as consistent as his life. He chooses to be a slave to save. That's always been the thing that I go, that's what makes Jesus different than everything else. And so from that, I go, okay, if he was a consistent servant, it's what he came to do, then I need to pay attention if I'm supposed to imitate who he is and what he did. That takes us to number two in your notes. The God who bows to serve invites you to act like him. See, Jesus comes to serve us to make us servants like him. That's where it gets uncomfortable. Because he becomes now the benchmark. It's not what I think a servant is. It's what he displays a servant is. Right? That changes the whole game because I know my boundaries. I want my boundaries to be kind of convenient, kind of easy. Only once every six weeks do I have to do it, whatever it is. But he's like, no, man, I've got a completely different game plan for you. And part of the servanthood isn't simply to be nice or to be thoughtful, right? To pay it forward or give back. No, this idea of servanthood that he embodies, that we are to embody, is the very essence of the Christian life. It's the very distinctive of the person of Jesus. It's the upside down and backwards nature of the kingdom. Here's what in part I want to try to push today and hopefully we'll all understand. This concept of serving is actually what fixes the world. It actually fixes the world. See, we, we look and we go, no, the right politics is going to fix the world. The right economy is going to fix the world. The right military is going to fix the world. The right, right social structure, the right ethical model. No, that's not what changes the world. The Sermon on the Mount changes the world. And the core of the Sermon on the Mount is servanthood that changes the world. That's why this message was saved to the very end of the crazy series. Because it takes being a servant to change the world Here's an example, again, Mark chapter 10. We read about Jesus' mission statement. Let's look at the context where that comes from. It starts in verse 35. It says, Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came over and they spoke with Jesus. They said, Teacher, we want you to do us a favor. Now I'm like, what's the favor? Give us more of that sweet, sweet, like, wedding wine you made, or help us move on Thursday and we'll give you cheap pizza as a payment. Like, what do they want as a favor? Well, he says, what's your request? They said, well, when you sit on your glorious throne, we want to sit in places of honor next to you, one to your right and the other to your left. See, they're thinking like the kingdom's going public, right? And so they went on the ground floor. They're like, hey, man, he's getting ready to bust this thing out. We're all going to be like riding high, filthy rich. It's going to be awesome. We're going to be thugs for the world. Like it's gonna be, and so we're going to right there and right there, and he's in the middle. It's going to be great. That's what they want. And Jesus is like, oh, man, you guys don't even know what you're asking. They're like, no, we do. Da, da, da. Yeah, we do. He's like, no, you don't know what you're asking. They have no clue. But in their presumptiveness, as they ask this question, the other 10 homies that they're rolling with, they hear this and they're torqued. They don't like what they hear. 
In fact, we see this in verse 41. It says, when the other 10 disciples heard what James and John had asked, they were indignant. You know why they're mad? Because they were slow to ask, right? It's like, oh, I should have done that yesterday, right? I mean, you know, like Peter and Andrew's like, we're gonna get those guys later, man. We're gonna push them off their boat when we see them next, right? So Jesus called them together. He says, all right, this is a great opportunity for a little powwow so you can learn what, what you're doing wrong here. He says, you know, that the rulers in this world, they lord it over their people, and the officials flaunt their authority over those underneath them. But among you, it will be different. Now, I'm going to stop you here for a second. What I don't want you to do is read that and go, oh, there's some history about the 12 apostles. Mark had limited paper. He's not just like telling stories to tell stories. He's trying to tell a story that in essence is saying less about the history of them and more about the expectation for you and for me, right? This story is for us, not just them, right? So Jesus is like, you know how it's been done? You know how the world rolls? It should not be so among those who call themselves my followers. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must, must, be your servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. Who's going to that motivational speech, man? Like, that, that, who wants that? Here's the tragic truth. If we signed up for Jesus, we signed up for that. And if somebody didn't tell you that's what you were signing up for, they didn't tell you the fine print. And the fine print is in bold and big and like 50-point font here, right? He says, you must be a servant. You must be a slave. And then he says, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and give his life a ransom for many. See, that mission statement of Jesus is embedded into a mission statement for us, right? It's true and it's beautiful and it can change the world and it can enrich lives, but it means taking this seriously. Because kingdom greatness means that we have to recognize our propensity toward privilege and we need to crucify it. We need to kind of crucify it. And I think you have to do it every day. I know I do, right? I'm self-absorbed. I'm awesome at being human. And so there's this need to just crucify privilege and embrace service to literally go into every context of every day and fighting to remember that my, my purpose for still breathing air and fogging a mirror is I'm looking at people saying, how can I serve them? Whether I know them or I don't know them, whether they know I follow Jesus or they don't know I follow Jesus, how can I do things that honestly, authentically serve them and hopefully from that make their day just a little bit better and then I'm doing it in Christ's name, for Christ's fame, with his disposition way to my heart. Because in this, what Jesus is looking for us to own is not volunteerism. It's servanthood. And I don't want to make that point really quick because I think too often we think in terms of volunteerism. I volunteer at church. I volunteer in the community. I volunteer on the school board. I volunteer for some community group, whatever else. Here's the, here's the thing about volunteerism. I'm not saying it's bad. But what I'm saying is it's just a thing you do. 
You turn off your volunteerism, then you turn off your volunteerism when you put up your volunteer hat and you go back to your house or your job or whatever you do. But servanthood is not volunteerism. Servanthood is an attitude. Servanthood is a disposition. You don't turn it on and off. It's something that, I want to say you possess it, but here's, I'm realizing, it possesses you. Really, servanthood should possess us. In, In such a way that then we're always looking, how do I serve? Because we're not volunteers. We're servants of Christ. Jesus didn't say, come and volunteer for me. He said, come and serve me. And so that is to be our heart. That attitude in the world that we live in. And I think when it comes to this idea of service then, there are three spheres in which we are invited to serve by Jesus. That's the third thing in your notes, three spheres. And there's these first two are gonna go relatively quick. The third one I'll take a little bit more time on. But the first one is this. We are called to be servants to our families. To our family. I didn't say in our families. I said to, because I want us to understand it's an action engaged in, right? This attitude becomes action that we want to do. Now, here's the thing about serving in families. It's the most obvious, and sometimes it's the toughest, right? Like, honestly, you don't choose your family. And not all families fun all the time. Not all families easy all the time. Not all family actually appreciates your servanthood. In fact, sometimes family will take advantage of your servanthood. And you're still to be a servant. Like even going into the holidays, right? So Thanksgiving's coming and you're like, oh man, is Uncle Eddie coming? I hope there's booze. You know, like, because I'm going to have to serve Uncle Eddie. But, but see, the Bible says this is a great opportunity to serve because where we're real, really tested to serve is when we don't want to serve. Where we're really tested to serve is when we're treated like servants. Right? That's the place we serve. 1 Timothy chapter 5 says this is the real proof of our faith. He says those who won't care for their relatives, especially those in their own household, have denied the true faith and such people are worse than unbelievers. Ugh. Sounds terrible. I got heavy fast. But I, here's what I love about the Bible. Like, we can all be like, oh, I love to study the Bible. Oh, it's so rich. It's so deep. And then you read that, and you're like, oh, man, I suck. Like, <laughs> I suck. I know. You've denied the true faith. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Serving relatives sometimes is hard, but it shows that we want to grow. We want to stretch. We want to be more like Jesus because you know what? He served us when we didn't deserve it, when we were off the rails, and he serves us sacrificially in the process. So, so this is good for us. And not just in families at large, but I think also marriage. Marriage is a wonderful place to think about servanthood. Especially because sometimes, let's be honest, marriage feels like slavery. It does. You're like, I'm laughing, but I hope my spouse doesn't hit me right now. Like, but think about even the little things we use that captures when it's not good, it feels like slavery, right? Ball and chain, right? She's the ball and chain, or he's whipped, right? Both of those are like these metaphors of this idea that it's not always great. It kind of has this slavery thing. But the Bible rolls in. Jesus rolls in. It says, all right, I want you to face your relationship a little differently. It's not what you can get from it. It's what you can give to it. It's not how they can serve you. It's how you can serve them. And in fact, in Ephesians chapter 5, there's this beautiful picture that gets lost sometimes because people are jockeying for stupid stuff when they read it. Let me see if I can make it simple. 
Verse 21 says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And it says, for wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For the husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. It drives me crazy when people look at this and go, well, you know what this means is the woman is under the man. I'm like, no, here's what it says. Shut up and serve. That's what it says. It just says, you know what? Serve one another. You can serve like this and you can serve like that and the whole essence of it means a thing. So here's what it's not saying. It's not saying that the husband's above and the wife's below and, and he serves her to the degree that she serves him. That is not what Ephesians 5 says. That is super broken. At the same time, it doesn't say this either, that you're side by side, but you're trying to kind of dominate one another in the relationship. Now, that's the temptation. That's what you actually see in Genesis chapter 3, that ever since there was this rebellion in Eden and they were pointing the fingers at each other like, it's their fault, it's their fault, and everything else. There's this power struggle. But what Paul is trying to say is submit to one another. So it's this picture here. Right? I, I, I'm coming under Ellen and seeking to serve her and uplift her, and she's coming under me and seeking to uplift me and serve me. So it's not like what I get from it, it's what I give to it. It's not me lording over, it's me coming under. That's how we serve in our families. That's how we serve in our marriages. That's how we should serve in our relationships. That's the spirit of Jesus who comes under and serves us. So the first is we are to be servants to our families. The second, we're to be servants to our church, both in function and in spirit. The function is seen in Peter. He says, God has given each of you a gift. He's given you a gift from the great variety of his spiritual gifts that he gives to you. So what's he say? Sit on them well. Nah. He says, use them well. And use them well to serve one another. Now, some people get into, well, what are the gifts in the New Testament? To make sure I know my gifts. Gifts can be all sorts of things, right? They're given by God. They're given by His Spirit. But they can be abilities. They can be talents. They can be time, specialty, perspective, any number of things. But that's what you want to use. Some is one-on-one. Some is big groups. Some are small groups, whatever. It's, It's just use. Like Pastor Scott talked about a few weeks ago. It's like the church is a carburetor and we're all the pieces. We all have to come together to make this thing work. So that's totally true. But there's also an attitude, like I said, in the servanthood as well, because we want to keep talking about attitudes. Galatians chapter 5. He says, For you have been called to live in freedom. He says, But don't use your freedom to satisfy your own sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command love your neighbor as yourself. Now, one of the things I think is true and difficult about a passage like that is it talks about freedom. And as Americans, we're so kind of embedded into a concept of freedom that's foreign to the New Testament that sometimes we pull our American notions of freedom into the Bible. We're like, oh, it says freedom. We love freedom. That's the kind of freedom we have as a country. Very different freedom. Right? The freedom that we talk about here is about we have rights that protect our freedoms. Paul would have heard that and said, what are you talking about? He's like, that's not what I'm talking about. Paul would say, you have freedoms that allow you to live your responsibilities. Now you can actually love and serve other people unencumbered because Jesus has set you free. This whole idea of demanding notions and rights and privileges and all, he'd be like, no, 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 your freedom. 
is so you can love. And I think part of the way that we serve one another in the church and as fellow Christians is not simply in doing Sunday school or set up and tear down or leading a regroup or whatever else. I think the way we can serve one another in love is like, you know what? Genuinely forgive each other. That's a great way to serve. Or to be patient with each other. Have long-suffering you have a broken relationship fix it that takes a lot of servanthood that takes some humility to do that right bearing one another's burdens paul will say this in the next chapter in galatians that that takes servanthood as we learned last week letting people bug the hell out of you right that takes a lot of servanthood doing the stuff that you may not like to do but you know it makes you a better you those are all the ways that we can serve in the context of the church. But it's this third one that will perhaps put us to the test the most because it's the place where Jesus displayed his servanthood the most. It's the idea that we are to be servants to our world. The church is not here to just simply be alienated from the world. The church gets pulled out of the world and no longer loves the world, but weirdly to turn around and love the world. Right? So in other words, it's no longer you have affections for the world that fill you up, but you're pulled from that, then turn around and love the people in the world and serve the people in the world because that's exactly what Jesus did. If there's anything that is clear that he did, it's so that God so loved the world, he sends his son to serve the world. So we do the exact same thing. So as a church, aside from everybody sweeps, we have this phrase of we do things for the good of the city. And that phrase, for the good of the city, I want to be really, really clear it is not an evangelism strategy. The very first day redemption was born, that was the very first phrase that was born the day redemption was born 10 years ago, and it was never an evangelism strategy. Doing things for the good of the city was a servanthood strategy. Always was, I hope always will be. But here's the thing I do believe. If you have a healthy, honest, and authentic servanthood strategy, you have an evangelism strategy. That's the best form. In fact, go back to something we learned earlier in the series about actual evangelism. I made the case that said, you know what? Our world does not hear, need to hear more Christians talking a lot of talk about Christianity. It needs to see more Christians doing a lot of stuff that Jesus would do. Right? Like, like we've talked and talked and talked and we've turned off an entire generation. We've got to stop talking. We've got to start doing. We've got to start functioning like Jesus. And I think the way we do that predominantly is in serving because when you look at Jesus, what was so attractive about him to others is that he met them in their space. He moved in their lives with them. They could see his care for them. And from that, they're like, man, there's something about that. That's what we should do, get to do, need to do if we're going to be effective. In fact, remember back in Philippians chapter 2 where we talked about Jesus put off his privileges for the sake of us? Let me read it again. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God, something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and then he gave himself for us, right? Paul talks about that, but that's not just like him filling paper with theological ideas. There's a reason he says it. Here's the reason he says it. He says this just before he makes that statement, he says, don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as less than yourselves. No, he doesn't say that. As thinking of others as better. 
as better than yourselves. Don't you want to just use a sharpie and mark that out? Just, ah! That's hard. He says, don't only look out for your own interests, but take interest in others too. He says, from this, may you have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had, though being God, he gave up his privileges for us. See, that's pretty impressive right there when I think about that. This was the verse we'd always tell our kids when they'd get in a fight. Every time when they were little. To the point of they were like, we now treat others better than yourself, right? But, but that's so good. That gives you, again, your marching orders. And I think this is what makes us hard, I think, sometimes as, as American Christians, is that we have been implanted with a disposition from day one, which is this. Other people aren't better than you. In fact, so much to the point of we almost feel it's okay to kind of take the posture of like, you're not going to somehow oppress me. You're not somehow going to make me feel less. I'm not going to let you have that space. Now, I'm not talking about keeping yourself in an abused situation. That's not my point. But I think there's an attitude that says, no, nobody's better than me. And from that, sometimes we treat people as though they're not better than us. But, but what Paul is saying, pointing to Jesus, is we treat others as better in some ways. We go back to that hard-to-do golden rule of, man, I want to do unto others the same as I would want them to do unto me. It's not easy, it's hard, but that's the stuff of servanthood. Of servanthood. Now, for a minute, I, I'm just going to grab my broom, grab a stool, tell a story. And, and this is just my testimony, all right? So this isn't me lecturing, it's not... But I was just thinking about why this is so important to me and passionate to me. And certainly, if you listen to the Everyday Missionary podcast, this is probably one of the undercurrents that's in there a lot, though I don't always articulate it that way. But I was thinking about the last year and a half. And, and I remember when, when everything started initially with, with everything related to COVID early in March, I, I sat down with Trent and I sat down with Scott. And this was before anything was shut down. This is before we didn't have access to the public high schools or anything like that. We sat down and we're like, okay, so the governor is just asking, basically at that point, it was just like, hey, do us a favor. If you can avoid meeting in groups of 10, that would be great. So there was no mandates yet. There was just this thing floated out there. And so we sat in the office for probably a good hour and a half talking about like, what should we do? And what should we not do? And everything else. And at this point, we were still free to meet at the school, everything else. And in that setting, we decided, hey, we're being asked to do a thing. And we can spin this six ways from Sunday, but we're like, what is our mission statement for the good of the city? How can we serve best? What, what, thing, what decision can we make next that best serves our community, our district, the people we're trying to reach? And so we're like, we think we need to just not meet at the school on Sunday and go digital. That decision was made before anything was closed. And some struggle with that decision. I understand that. But I want you to understand the heart behind the whole thing was we analyzed what is going to look most like Jesus to our community. What's going to send the message to our disbelieving world around us that we care about them and we want to serve them and we are willing to sweep even if it's hard on us. That was the heart. And then as things continue to move forward and all the challenges we face, and we face mandates and requirements and everything else, and just for me the whole time, I only had one motivation. 
I just want to serve the people around me. In particular, I cared about serving the lost world around me. There were many people in our community that I've spent years building relationships with who have a sour view of Christianity and they have a sour view of religion. And my whole thing was like, I just want them to know I'm not here to fight for my privilege or my rights. I want them to be first in every decision I'm making as best as I can, as long as it doesn't ask me to actively reject Christ, to sin, whatever else. That was my heart. I just wanted to sweep. Now, I didn't do it perfect by any stretch. But all these things, like, like masks, for example, I didn't look at it from any other perspective than just that. That was just me. I didn't want some poor 17-year-old kid at Safeway to be like, excuse me, sir, put on your mask. And, and, and I'd be like, no. Because I wanted, I wanted to serve that poor kid that got stuck with that rotten job. Right? I went to a restaurant recently in, in Kirkland, and here's this poor person. You could just tell with fear and trepidation, do you have a vaccination card? You know? Like, you know, they got throttled 10 times that night. You know? And, and, and so this was just, for me, I'm, I'm not lecturing. I'm just giving perspective of where I think the, the grits hit the skillet, so to speak. Right? Like, like, servanthood isn't just these lofty things. Servanthood is in the, the mire of life. And in and, and serving the world, we're trying to show the world that we care about them so much we'll be inconvenienced. And we care about their perspectives so much that I'm willing to meet them where their perspectives are at provided it doesn't ask me to actively sin. Now, I'll tell you, this is not my philosophy. I turned to my friend Paul and something he said that grips me. He says in 1 Corinthians, he says, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all. That's really beautiful. I'm free to do whatever I want to do, but in my freedom, I choose servanthood. He says, why? That I might win the more of them. He says, to the Jews, I became a Jew in order to win the Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not myself being under the law, that I might win those under the law. So I did things that I didn't even feel I had to do, but it was important to them, and so I did the things that were important to them, even though it's not really required of me, but it matters to them, so I do it. That's all he's saying there. He's like, man, I really love bacon now, but I gotta skip it with these guys. He says, to those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, though not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that I might by all means save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel, that I may share with them in its blessing. See, that section, I would say, drove me for the last 19 months. It really did, Right? Because there's people in my life that, like I said, have spent a long time trying to reach Christ. And you know what? Just in interactions with them, they're like, man, what's up with the Christians? Like, I thought you all owned the whole love your neighbor thing. Like, that was their attitude. And I remember just, like, I just thought, more than anything else, I thought, do they feel loved? Do they feel served? Did I do a good job? I mean, just questions weighed on me. And so I look at Paul and I say, man, he's so committed to wanting to reach people, he wanted to serve them. No matter what it took, he was all in. He laid down his rights, he laid down his privileges. He says, eternity matters. 
more than here and now and what I think. I'll become all things to all people to win the more. And so ultimately, for our final point of the morning, we are to serve like Christ and unto Christ. Again, the same attitude that Christ had was what? He gave up his privilege. He gave up his privilege and became a slave. And Paul says, have that same mind. Have that same mind that Christ had too. Why this is important is that I love to say it's on the final exam. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, all the angels will be with him, and then he will sit on his glorious throne, and before him he will gather all the nations. He will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep to his right and the goats to his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my Father, and here the kingdom prepared for the foundations of the world. For I was hungry, you gave me food. I was thirsty, you gave me drink. I was a stranger, you welcomed me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. And I was in prison, and you came to me. And then the righteous will say, What are you talking about? When did we see you hungry, or feed you, or thirsty, or give you drink? When did we see you as a stranger, and welcome you, or naked, and clothe you? Or when did we see you sick, or in prison, and we visited you? And then the king will say to them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it unto me. Now the story goes on to say the opposite is true. We didn't do it to the least of these. We were doing it to Jesus or not doing it to Jesus. It always comes back to doing it from Jesus and for Jesus. And so no matter who we meet, right, whether it be a hostess or a waiter or a bag boy or a person on the school board or a teacher or a friend or a spouse or a kid or a parent, whatever it is, it's real simple. Every one of them, you look just beyond their face, just beyond their eyes, and it's Jesus. Every one of them, just beyond, he says, you're doing it unto me or you're not doing it unto me. And it puts us back in the place of, well, then I want to be like Jesus. And I want to do it unto him and through him and for him. Let's go ahead and pray together. Jesus, I thank you again for hard things. And this is hard stuff. I mean, I know I even went longer today because it's just so in my heart. Like, I, I keep seeing the way forward. It's so clear and yet so hard. Like, we're just, we struggle sometimes to consistently serve all the people around us. We'll serve some, but not others. Some will even see as threats more than people to be served. And all the more, I pray that we will be more like you. Help us to know what that looks like in the real world. Help us to not just like have platitudes and accolades of truthful statements, but, but help us to be what you want us to be and give us the strength and the fortitude and the certainty to do that. Because what the world needs to see is you. They don't need to hear more you. They need to see more you. And then from that, maybe they'll want to hear more about who you really are. And so we thank you, Jesus. We love you and we need you in your name. Amen. Thank you, Matt. I 1,000% agree that the only way to w reach people for Christ in 2021 